What's poppin' beautiful people? Your happy accident has led you to the Stupid Scientist Podcast. And these are my inner ramblings. As you're listening to this broadcast, I challenge you to do three things. First, expand your mind. Second, think critically. And last, but certainly not least, probably one of the most important things a scientist does is to formulate new hypotheses. I hope, oh how I hope, that by the end of this, you feel just a little bit stupid. But check it. Don't you dare stay that way. Welcome, welcome, welcome back, everybody. We are back in another episode. We're back like we never left. Today, we have a wonderful, wonderful lineup with some fabulous guests. Um, These people are very near and dear to me, and they're great, fabulous people doing great things in their respective careers. And we are going to start with Breonna Davis Reyes, our previous guest in Q4's episode. Uh, Say hello to to the listeners. Hi. I think everyone remembers me. I'm Breonna Davis Reyes. I'm a postdoctoral fellow at Yale. I do substance use disorders. Wonderful wonderful work you're doing at Yale. And Antonio, could you tell us a little bit about you really quickly? Everybody, what's going on? My name is Antonio Brazelton. I'm an alumnus of Tuskegee University, Iowa State University. Um, I currently work in uh, molecular genomics and software production. Awesome. And Elise. Hi, everyone. I'm Elise Tober, and I'm so excited to be here today. Um, I've developed a career in public health, environmental health, and environmental justice. I am also the founder and executive director of Next Step Up, a nonprofit that provides mentoring and tutoring to high school students in Tuskegee, Alabama. I am a graduate of Tuskegee University in environmental science and a graduate of the University of Michigan, where I received a master's of public health and environmental health. My interests are specifically in water quality, environmental justice, and climate change, and how climate change uniquely impacts Black communities specifically, but Black communities, low-income communities, um, communities of color, and around developing policies and programs to make uh, the communities that are most impacted uh, more resilient in the face of a changing climate. And so I spend my time now working both on um, advocating for federal policies to address climate change and also in directing Next Step Up, the nonprofit that I run. Awesome, awesome. Thank you for that wonderful introduction, Elise and Christine. Hi, Kendra. Thank you for having me. Um, As you said, my name's Christine. I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia, and I attended Emory for undergrad. Uh, There I studied anthropology and um, pretty late in my college career. I thought I was pre-med and I participated in a summer research program that exposed me to research. And so um, since it was pretty late in my path, I didn't have a lot of experience. So I did a gap year where I participated in an NIH prep program in order to, at University of Michigan in order to gain more research experience. After that, I entered Duke University where um, I entered through an umbrella program actually because I wasn't certain what I wanted to study. So I. I entered through the Cell and Molecular Biology umbrella program and ended up getting my PhD in molecular cancer biology. And currently I'm still at Duke at their vaccine institute or Duke's Human Vaccine Institute where I work on trying to develop a vaccine for HIV. 
Um, I guess more specifically about that is that we use the natural virus spike protein as a template to develop novel synthetic proteins to use as part of the protein as a vaccine itself. And since it's synthetic, um, it's a safer uh, method of vaccine delivery. Since we're not introducing viral material into the person, we're also able to modify it, the proteins that we develop in ways to make them more immunogenic. So we can delete regions that are targeted by non-neutralizing antibodies. We can put them on nanoparticles. We can do all kinds of cool stuff to make your body better able to recognize the virus without actually having to become infected. Look at all this black excellence on this call. This is just wonderful. I love it. I love it. I love it. So today's episode, we are going to chat about specifically how the educational system can sometimes uh, be lacking when it comes to the development of diverse talent. And so we want to touch base on how the HBCU institutions have impacted us and benefited us. And then we also want to talk about our experiences as minorities in STEM. We can do this popcorn style. We can jump right in. But I, I guess I can be more specific with the question. How does it feel being a high achieving black person in the field of STEM today? Do you get weird questions like, oh my God, like you don't look like a scientist or, oh my gosh, you're so young. Hop in whenever you want to share a little bit with me. I don't, I don't know if I get any like blatant weird questions, but I do end up um, feeling like the token black person quite a bit. I get invited to do a lot, like, so right now I'm working on um, a, a large project, we'll put it like that, I don't want to go very specific, but, um, and it feels sometimes like they invited me to the party just to say they had some Black representation, but not really to listen to said Black represent representation in the room, and that can be really frustrating um, just as being a person in general, not having your thoughts or opinions um, actually taken into account, um, but wanting you to participate, quote unquote. So that it's, it's, it's a little frustrating sometimes. Yeah, I, I totally agree. There, there have been times when I was working, going through my PhD process, I was presenting at a lab meeting and I'm talking fairly passionately about this new idea about Chinese kinase pathway. It was, I was really passionate about this topic. And the whole time, my lab mates, my PI, they were just like, this is ridiculous. We don't do this in this lab. And you don't really know what you're talking about type of thing. And I'm just like, but no, I've been reading. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> I know it's like, it's like you, you're like, I'm going to snitch them all the way out. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to get real specific. Like, oh, okay, I should be quiet. <laughs> all under the bus I definitely feel that though like I definitely think there are spaces that we walk into because we've been prepared to be there but then everything in the space challenges whether you should actually be there right like you're like I know I've been prepared to talk about this I know what I'm talking about and then you get in the room and you talk about it and people are like oh okay like I think even even over in the corporate world I see some of that uh where we're having a meeting discussing um, gene editing pathways and building software around them. And I'm like, well, why don't we consider doing this because the science works like this and then it, we should be able to have a better outcome. And then like, it kind of gets snubbed over like, oh, it's, it's not really the direction we're looking at. We're not really thinking 
that we should do and then like you feel like well dang do i understand what's going on like am i stupid is that is that why this is it and so yeah i i kind of feel what you're saying brianna where you're like am i just in this room as a token black person to not really be listened to regardless of the credential i have to be here and so it can it can be challenging I can definitely echo that experience. And even adding on to that, it's even more frustrating when you say that idea, it's dismissed. And then another colleague that is not an underrepresented minority says essentially the same thing. And everyone just lauds it as, oh my gosh, why didn't we think of that? Why didn't anyone say that before? And you're sitting there like, <laughs> is it just me? Am I invisible? Am I mute? Um, and also just the blatant, I mean, walking into a room the assumption that you're not supposed to be there, people assuming that you're a low, lower title than you are, not addressing you by your credentials, um, all of just everything, being a minority in these spaces. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, so I have two thoughts on that. Um, one, I was interviewed by the National Geographic this summer for an article that um, um, was called The Environmental Movement is So White, These Young Black Leaders Seek to Change That. And I was asked a question during this interview about um, <clears throat> how do people perceive me as a black person working in the environmental field? Are they often shocked to see me? And it's um, so interesting how HBCUs validate who we are um, and what our experience is. Because I told her that, you know, in, in my training, all of the environmentalists that I met who trained me were black environmentalists. So I never had the perspective that the environmental field was a white field. The environmental field in every field actually, to me in my experience growing up in Tuskegee, Alabama and then attending Tuskegee University was a field in which black people could excel. Um, George Washington Carver pioneered agriculture for the entire world. So I think that one of the beauties of attending an HBCU, particularly one that's historic um, and revolutionary as Tuskegee University is that it provides an opportunity for a student or a young, younger person to see that we can literally be anything that we can pioneer in all fields. Um, but I definitely say that um, in my professional experience, I have had some of the, um, some of, I, I've had some of the experiences akin to the experiences that you all have, you know, had as well. Um, and I, what I find interesting also is just also what, like the skill set that people are particularly primarily white environments think you should bring to the table just because of your color or because of like your race, um, rather than asking me about, you know, chemical safety or toxicology or, um, statistics I'm asked about like the diversity <laughs> angle or something and I'm not a diversity specialist um, so you know I think that is all I, of course you know I can bring my lived experiences to the table and I have a level of empathy that you know some of my colleagues may not have um, but you know I think that's another another um, a factor in the equation of what it's like to work in primarily white environments as well as a as a as a black person. Yeah, it yeah. It, it can be a bit overwhelming sometimes because it's like you're tasked with shouldering the burden of your entire race because you're that representative now and it's just like my lived experience 
is not the entire black community's lived experience. So I, you know, like you said, you can be more empathetic with, with individuals, but you don't always have the, the answer. It takes listening to varied voices and having very, more people from diverse backgrounds uh, in those spaces. Mm-hmm. It's also I, additional, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. It, it's just a really quick, I was I, just to, to comment on something that was said. I didn't realize how nurtured I was at my HBCU. So I went to Prairie View. I didn't say that earlier. Um, and and going to Prairie View and having the HBCU experience, you just there's such a a supportive environment that like when you leave, it's it's almost like a shock going back into the the quote unquote real world. Um, and I didn't grow up maybe necessarily around a lot of black people. So I guess it was a shock going into an HBCU and a shock coming back out. But um, in, in either scenario, it just, it, it felt like, um, it, it feels every day, like I kind of miss my home. You know what I mean? Um, I, I miss being around a lot of people that look like me, that, that you know, have same similar cultural experiences as me. And, and being in that room with these people in the Zoom room now, right? Um, is, it can be incredibly isolating and, and lonely. Um, and I don't think people realize that when they say, you know, come on to this school, we want to increase diversity and, and yada, 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 but they don't build the environment um, to be supportive. Um, and this is why we have problems with retention, especially in academia, um, because, people just leave, they get tired of, someone spoke about um, having to be the representative uh, diversity expert. They get tired of being talked over. They get tired of not having support um, and all of these things and they just, they leave. And that's very unfortunate because I work with so many talented black individuals and they are so incredibly intelligent and have so much to bring to the table and to see them walk away because of these sort of things is, 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 is disheartening to say the very least. Great, great points. Christina, Christine, you were going to say something. I'm just tagging on on um, the expected role that we're supposed to be experts in this field because we're people of color. Um, Not only is that a false assumption, but it's also labor that's not valued. So, I mean, just because I am a person of color does not mean I am an ex- I'm an expert in the field and for me to have to serve in these roles that these are positions that are salaried positions people go receive higher level degrees to become experts in these fields there are decades of bodies of literature in these fields that have recommendations for how to improve climates for minority students in academic settings and yet you're asking me on top of my daily responsibilities to take on this labor for free and to not be recognized or compensated in any way for this time and that's an additional burden on the constraints of my time that is not placed on my um, my non-unrepresented minority peers. And so that's just, you know, it's it's another it's another layer of how in these spaces, not only are we expected to perform above to prove that we deserve to be there, but then we're given these extra responsibilities that help the university look good because now they've started yet another task force, but they don't actually acknowledge the recommendations that we make and they don't actually, they don't give us more time to do this work. I mean, it's just the constraints I'm running out, but it's just another burden that's laid on top of us in an already unwelcoming setting. Yeah, and, and quite frankly, it, it's lazy on these organizations' parts to just dump 
that responsibility on someone. They don't want to search and recruit for somebody who has the experience and the expertise in those DNI initiatives. And they just say, oh, we got a black person, we got a Latino person, we got an Asian person. Just make them do it on top of their regular duties. And it's, it's not fair. You should be compensated for your time. That's all we got for you today, folks. Thanks for tuning in and be on the lookout for the continuation of this conversation in the next episode. Stay beautiful, people. And remember, it's okay to feel stupid, but don't you dare stay that way.